And uh, it's a great privilege to proclaim and preach the Word of God to you, and it's, it's just a great privilege that we have the Word of God, and that it can uh, do its work in our lives, which it promises to do. Martin Luther ignited arguably the greatest revival in the history of the church, and he demolished the stronghold of medieval Catholicism, but he said, I did nothing. The Word of God did everything. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Luther did what Paul commanded Timothy to do, preach the Word. There is a lot at stake if we choose to ignore this command. We can spend years believing spiritual lies and half-truths. We can spend years trying to live on inspirational thoughts and motivational quotes, spiritual ideas that are not in the Bible or are distortions of the Word of God. We can listen for years to certain kinds of teaching but never know the transforming power and truth of the Word of God. And so we are to preach the Word of God. And we are to listen to the Word of God. We are to preach the Word of God and to listen to those who preach and teach God's Word. That is how we should choose who we listen to and who we don't listen to. That's, that's the criteria, those who preach the Word. And Paul said, right here in this passage, he said, many people will abandon sound teaching. They will abandon sound, true, healthy teaching, and they will choose instead teachers who will teach them myths, things not based on the Word of God. We all do pick and choose our teachers. We actually do. And the choice you make for your teachers can either cause, cause spiritual success or spiritual shipwreck. Teachers make the difference between a life built on a rock or a life built on sand. A life built on the word or a life built on myths, speculations, superstitions, and human ideas. Of course, every exhortation in the Bible matters. But some are of special importance, and this is one. The exhortation is, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And Paul's introduction to this command, the way he builds up this command, proves or shows the seriousness and the weightiness of the command. Verse 1 I charge you in the presence of God. Paul wanted Timothy to receive this with a strong or a powerful awareness of God's presence. He said, I charge you before God or literally in the face of God. And he said, I charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead. Christ Himself, God the Father is looking on. Jesus Christ Himself is looking on. The one who is coming to judge all people 
His presence is right here now. He is the only judge that matters. His opinion of, all, of you is all that matters. And he is coming again to establish his everlasting kingdom. And so Paul said, I give you this charge before the face of Christ. This immediate presence of Christ looking on and searching our hearts and minds is seen in a remarkable way in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And I want us to see this in order to get the full impact of what is going to follow this. In Revelation 2 and 3, the churches are called lampstands. And it says that Jesus Christ himself walks among the, the seven lampstands or the seven churches. Jesus Christ lives and walks among believers and among his churches. Christ said in Revelation 2 and 3, he said all of the things that I'm just going to say. He said, I know you. I know your works. I know where you live. I know your hard work. I know your endurance. I know your faith. I know your love. I know those who are hot or cold. I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I stand at the door and knock. Christ did that 2,000 years ago and he has always done it and he still does that today. Christ is presence. We, we live our lives before the face of Jesus Christ. Christ knows every church and every person in every church and so as we hear God's word to us this morning, we hear it in the very presence of God and in the very presence of of Jesus Christ. Not only this morning, of course, but every time that we hear the word, we should be aware, as, as Paul wanted Timothy to be just keenly or powerfully aware, that you are hearing this charge, this command, this word in the presence of God. God is completely aware what you and I are hearing this morning, and he is completely aware of our response. And that produces a deep encouragement and a deep reverence, and it produces a sense of the weightiness about carrying out or being faithful to the charge that we are given here in his word. Well, what then is this weighty command that comes to us with such a solemn charge in the presence of God? We've already said it, preach the word. First, we are told what to preach. So point number one is we are to preach what God has already spoken. Paul was saying, don't preach yourself. Don't preach your own ideas or speculations. Don't preach your favorite topics or current events or funny stories. Don't preach a different message. Don't preach what people want to hear. Don't preach only what the culture will tolerate or allow. Preach the word. Why do we preach the word and not some of these other things? Because as we looked at last Sunday, and Josh preached uh, from the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3, because all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is God speaking to us. Martin Luther, Luther said, we must make a great difference between God's word and the word of man. And th that, that's, that's one of the biggest problems in the church today. 
We are not distinguishing between the word of God and the word of, word of man. We must make a big distinction, a great difference between God's word and the word of man. A man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes. But the word of God is greater than heaven and earth, yes, greater than death and hell, for it is the power of God and it endures forever. We should study it and believe that God himself speaks to us in it. Paul said in chapter three, the word of God leads to salvation. He, you remember he was speaking to Timothy and he said the, the scriptures, uh, your familiarity with the scriptures has led you to salvation, to finding new life in, it's directed you toward Christ and led you to find new life, to be born of the spirit, to become a new person. It's le- it leads to salvation. And Paul said it makes a man of God complete, fully equipped for every good work. The word of God makes you a complete or whole Christian. The word makes us into worshipers. It makes us into lovers of God. It sanctifies us. It leads us into sexual purity. It teaches us to love one another. It changes us from grumblers into people who are giving thanks and showing gratitude in all things. It leads us into joy and peace in our hearts. The the word of God makes the man or woman of God complete. It is sufficient to transform and heal the whole person inside and out. The word of God is what we need and it's what the world desperately needs. And so why would we want to preach anything else? Second point, the word of God is to be preached. Now that may seem rather obvious, but it's, it's clear from this passage and others. The word of God is to be preached. The scripture is not to remain in a closed book. The scripture is to be preached, taught, proclaimed, and explained. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul said, Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Preaching is boldly announcing this is what the Lord says. Teaching helps us to understand how to apply what the Lord has said. They, They go hand in hand, and that's why you see these phrases sometimes almost used interchangeably, but often together, and Paul does the same thing, work hard or devote yourself to preaching and teaching. Of course, God does work directly in our lives as we read his word by ourselves. We hear God speak to us uh, as we read his word on our own, but the gift of teaching and preaching is given by the Holy Spirit to help us hear and to respond to God's voice in the scripture. Even if you know a Bible verse or a passage of scripture very well, does does it not come to life and come to you again with fresh power through good teaching and preaching? Is there, okay, I guess a couple people shaking their head. It's, it's because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's because God appointed preaching and teaching as a primary means by which 
we are to hear the word and to be built up. It's through preaching and teaching that the word has a powerful effect upon God's people. You will probably run into Christians at some point in your life who say that we don't really need church and we don't really need preaching or teaching. We, we just need to get together with a few other Christian friends now and then and that'll do just fine. But God has ordained preaching and teaching to nourish and feed believers from his word. Of course, we do also need fellowship. Of course, we do also need all the other gifts of the Spirit. We need people who encourage and give generously and those who are singers and worshipers and those who help and those who have faith and prophecy and all the other gifts of the Spirit. But the very foundation of our lives is God's never-changing, eternal Word. The very foundation of our lives is God's truth revealed in the Word, and that Word is to be taught and to be preached. Certainly this charge had special application to Timothy because of his gifts and calling. And it certainly has a, a more special application to those who are called to publicly preach and teach or to pastors and elders. But all of us, in some level or in, on some level or in some way, should preach the word. We should, in a sense, always be preaching the word to ourselves, to our families, to our children. When I say to ourselves, I mean preaching the word to your own heart, speaking to your own soul, proclaiming God's truth to your inner man or inner, inner person. Uh, preach the word to ourselves, to our families, to our children, to brothers, brothers and sisters in the church, and of course, to those outside of Christ whenever and however we can. In a very real way, Christians are called to preach to one another in our conversation and even in our singing. Uh, again, a verse that Josh shared last week from uh, Colossians I don't have the reference here, but you know, it's from Colossians. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So there's, there's just in our conversation, we're, we're to be speak. The word of God is, the word of Christ is, is to so fill our hearts, to so overflow our minds our minds are to be so much on this, our hearts to be so filled with it that when we talk with one another, that's what comes out. And we teach, we actually teach and admonish one another that way. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the word of Christ comes out just in our conversation as we, as we teach and admonish one another and as we sing to one another. Preaching and teaching one another is to be going on all the time in the body of Christ. Third point, God's word is to be preached with a sense of urgency. Verse two begins, be ready. Other translations say, be urgent or keep your sense of urgency. Do not be slack. Be ready. Do not be slack or unprepared or lackadaisical. And 
That applies to those who teach and preach the word, but it, it applies to all of us. Romans 12, 11, never lack in zeal, but always be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We're, we're, to, we're to live with a sense of readiness, preparedness, a sense of urgency. Fourth, God's word is to be preached regardless of the response or the results. Paul said preach the word in season and out of season. Preach when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Preach when it's easy and and accepted and preach when it's hard and rejected. Uh, Preach through glory and dishonor. Preach through slander and praise. Preach when people are saying good things about you when they're saying bad things about you. Preach in season and out of season. We are called, we are all called to that kind of spiritual tenacity to just press forward no matter what is going on, no matter who is saying what, no matter what is happening, in season and out of season. And all of us experience seasons when things are going well and seasons when things are not going well. We all experience season when the Christian life doesn't seem like much of a fight. And we all see, experience season when it seems like the most severe, biggest battle that we've ever been in. It seems like a fight for our very soul and life. There, there are seasons when we see God powerfully at work and seasons when it seems like God is not working. And it is tempting to serve only in season and and then to withdraw from people and to withdraw from serving Christ when things things seem like they're out of season. But God calls us to be in season and out of season people. And honestly, we need God to deliver us from the very... prevalent attitude of serving only when it's convenient, safe, easy, when we have nothing else going on, and when we feel like it. God calls us to serve Jesus Christ and the body of Christ with relentless faithfulness, whatever season it is. Fifth, we should follow teaching that changes us into godly people. Biblical preachers are commanded to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching is not merely communicating information. It is not merely holding people's attention for 30 or 40 minutes. It is certainly not simply entertaining people for a half an hour. Preaching is to change people's lives. Preaching should cause us to abandon sinful thoughts, values, and behaviors. It should cause us to pursue new levels of godly thinking and living. Reproof and rebuke both mean pointing out things that are wrong. Biblical preaching involves coming up against what people are thinking and how they are living and saying 
that is a problem. It is showing people what is sinful or what is false. It's reproving. It's rebuking. In many churches today, reproof and rebuke are completely out of bounds. Only what is positive or encouraging or non-offensive or easy to listen to is acceptable. And that kind of teaching should raise a red flag in your mind. Teaching that never um, raises any kind of discomfort or challenges you uh, that says what you're doing or how you're thinking is not right and urges you to live a different way. If, if that is not an, a, a, an element of the teaching, it's not biblical teaching and preaching. And next Paul said, exhort, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Exhorting is urging or encouraging people to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord. So preaching should challenge us to press on, to endure, to love each other, and so on. Uh, so biblical preaching must both have the element of tearing down, tearing down false ideas, ungodly attitudes and practices, and then building up goodness, building up faith and love and purity and all those other things that we're called to in our walk with Christ. And biblical preaching is done with complete patience and teaching. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. People may not get the message or they may not understand it the first time they hear it. Um, they may not get it the third time or the tenth time. We, we just show great patience in how we teach again and again and again the truths of God's word. And we're to take time to explain the word and show why it is important. We're to be bold and courageous in our teaching, but, but never arrogant or harsh or come across as uh, impatient with people. And Paul said we're to do it with, with teaching. And again, I think this means that we, that we take time to show people what the word says and what the Word of God says about how we are to live and to take time to explain the Word and show why it is important. Just thought of an, ex an example from the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians and you know, Paul commanded that we're to forgive and to love but he didn't, he didn't just drop those commands on people and say forgive, love. He said, he explained that we are to forgive because God in Christ forgave us. He, he explained that we are, or he taught us to be imitators of God in the way that we love and forgive. So teaching does more than just uh, give commands or quote verses. It helps, it helps people understand and explains things. Sixth point. Be on guard against the trend to defect from sound teaching. Verse three and four, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul here gives a prophetic warning that times are coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
The word endure, I think, is an important word here. The word endure means to bear with or to have the patience for or to put up with. That word tells us something about how we listen to God's word. It tells us that we should endure sound teaching. Not that teaching should be bad or boring, but that we must be willing to to endure, to keep listening, to keep doing the work, to have the patience to be taught the word of God over and over. Hebrews 13.22 says, I urge you, brethren, to bear with this word of exhortation. The writer of Hebrews knew he was saying some things that would not be the easiest to understand. He knew he was saying some things that would be hard for them to accept. So he urges them to endure sound teaching or to bear up with this exhortation. Sound teaching, why do we need to endure sound teaching? Because sound teaching is sometimes hard on the flesh. I mean, I know there's teaching out there that isn't hard on the flesh. Biblical sound teaching is sometimes hard on the flesh. It disturbs our thinking. It challenges our long-held habits or false ideas that we've held maybe for years about certain things. And it's sometimes hard to hear that, that we need to change something we've been doing or we need to stop thinking in a way that we've been thinking or stop talking in a way that we have been used to talking. The Word of God confronts, it challenges, it, it calls us to a new, new way of living. It's, it's just so much easier to hear what we want to, want to hear. It's just so, so much easier to hear things that don't shake us up at all from the way that we've already been thinking and living. So, Paul said, some having itching ears will turn to something that sounds better and feels better. Uh, The word itching here means to scratch or to tickle. Uh, The New American Standard translates this, but wanting to have their ears tickled. I think that communicates pretty, pretty clearly what Paul's talking about. This was probably an expression in Paul's day that described people who just would only listen to what they wanted to hear or would just listen to what tickled their ears or what made them feel good. Verse 3 goes on, so they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions or desires. I, I love the King James Version says they will heap up for themselves teachers. Can't you just imagine that? Uh, They listen to one and then to another and then to another and pretty soon they've got a whole pile of bad teachers. In a very real sense, people, people in the church create false teachers. If people didn't want them or read them or listen to them, they would die out for lack of an audience. But the massive amount of shallow teaching today is because that is what a lot of people want. That's all that they'll put up with. That's all that they will endure. That's all that they'll accept. And they go for that. 
And they create more and more. They heap up these kind of teachers. So they follow teachers to suit their own desires. Uh, Teachers that not only will tell them what they want to hear, but will suit their own passions or will allow them to continue on in their own passions and lusts and sinful ways of living. They accumulate for themselves teachers that will let them go on living the way that they want to. Micah, chapter 2, verse 11 says, the prophet Micah said, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the, that would be just the prophet for this people. I'm going to read that again because I kind of stumbled over it. If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy over you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. Or the ESV says that would be the kind of preacher you want. So this kind of thing's been going on for a long time. It's going going on back in Micah's day. Paul says it's going to come more and more in the future uh, that people will turn to this kind of preacher and teacher. The sad result is explained in verse 4. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He is talking about people who at one time in their lives did listen to the truth. But they now have turned away. They are turning away from that. They are wandering off from sound teaching and listening to these myths. To Paul, any teaching about spiritual matters that was not firmly rooted in the word of God was a myth. So that's what he means by wandering off into myths. The last point this morning um, is, I actually took this from the next verse, it's not in the bulletin, and I kind of debated whether to include this verse or not, but the more I thought about it, I I feel like it's really important for us, and I I wanted to to wrap up with with this. And that's uh, verse five. But you, Timothy, be sober, or sober-minded in all things, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the last point is, is, is a call to be faithful. Uh, this, this is a call to be loyal to the word of God, loyal to preaching it, loyal to listening to it, no matter what happens, in season and out of season, it's, it's a call to, to go on, to press forward, to be loyal to the Word of God and to the work of God. Because of the number of people who will turn away from God's truth, Timothy is exhorted to be even more dedicated to preach the Word. 
Again, but as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Many, Paul tells us, will stop preaching the word. And many will turn away from those who do faithfully preach the word. But as for you, Timothy, be sober. In other words, be stable and steady, not changeable, not fickle. Do not go after novel teaching. Keep yourself grounded, sober in the things of God. Endure suffering. Be willing to follow that lonely road with Jesus. Endure the reproach that comes with preaching the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Point people to Christ, not to spiritual nonsense. Fulfill your ministry. Finish the work God gave you to do to faithfully preach the word. Clear up to the very end of your life. And that's really the challenge that we're given here this morning. Fidelity to the word. Fidelity, faithfulness, loyalty. That is the great need of this hour among God's people, among us, among the church in general. May we be faithful to his word, enduring whatever hardship may come with that. And so I'm going to close this morning with, simply with this verse from Acts 20, 32, which uh, Paul gave to the elders at Ephesus. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we Thank you for the power and the authority of your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us in your word, Lord. We thank you that it's living and active and that it gives life.